Let's begin by discussing the purpose of this series. The purpose of this series is to delve into the deepest issues of life. We're going to try to understand who we are, who Hashem is, why we were created, and what our purpose is in life. We're going to try to expand our minds to understand everything on a much deeper level. But there's also a bigger picture. We're also going to try to use these ideas to live life with a greater purpose, a life of growth, a life of building that closer to the Kodesh Baruch Hu. We're going to try to live a life committed to something bigger than ourselves, to become part of Klai Yisrael, contributing our lives to Klai Yisrael. And hopefully we'll also fall in love with the journey and process of life. And those are the basic introductory goals of this Machshava series. Now, a couple important ideas that we need to first establish. First of all, all the shir in which we're going to be giving, all the different ideas are all interconnected. So every shir will give you a little glimpse at the big picture. I'll give you a beautiful mashal. If you're looking at a sculpture, you can look at a sculpture from many different perspectives. So every single shear will be giving you a little piece of the puzzle, a little piece of the picture, and when you put all the pieces together, you'll get a masterpiece. But every shear as an independent shear will also be understood by itself. And that's the, the beauty of the way I try to organize it, is that every single shear can be just a shear, but all the shear together will melt into a bigger hole. Now, the basic way that we're going to try to build this series is by developing principles, developing big ideas. So we're going to take a step back and we're going to try to understand the main principles. And then we're going to try to go deeper and understand how to use these principles and interconnect them and build something greater. So just one more piece of introduction, which is the, ma the main material that we're going to be using for all of these shira. So obviously, in every year we're going to be using many, many different Gemaras throughout Shas, but the main Bali Machshava that we're going to be discussing are the Maharal, the Ramchal, and all of his different works, the Rech Hashem, the Astvunos, Mesil Shishoyim, the Nefesh HaChayim, Rev Tzadik, and some works of the Arizal. And obviously a lot of these ideas are based on Shirim, which I've heard from my Rebbeim, Rabbi Kiva Katz, things which I've heard and listened and learned from Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, and many other ideas as well. So now, this will be an introductory shear which will set the foundation for all the different ideas which we're going to try to be developing throughout. <clears throat> so let's start with, so, with a couple very, very fundamental questions. The first question is based on the Ramchal as well as the Arizal, and it's based on how Adam HaRishon is first described in the Torah. Now we get two contradictory descriptions of Adam HaRishon. If you look at Perak Aleph, Adam HaRishon is described in the most inspirational way. He's described as made B'Tselem Elohim. He's given this godly image. And when you look at Adam, you look at someone who is an inspiring figure. Someone who's godly. Someone who's extraordinary. Someone who's great. And yet, in Perak Beis, you get another very different description of Adam HaRishon. It, the Torah describes Adam almost the same way as it describes the creation of animals. It says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu took the dust of the earth and blew life into it. You don't get any godly description of Salam Alakim. You don't get this inspiring image of Adam HaRishon, which would make you look at Adam as someone who's godly and destined for greatness. You get almost a very lowly, animalistic description of Adam HaRishon. So which one is it? Is mankind meant to be great, meant to be godly? Are we made with Salam al-Kim? Or are we just made from the dust of the earth and just given life, just like animals or just living organisms? Which one is it? The second question is a question which has fascinated me for a very long time, which is why don't people become great? 
Why is it that you see certain people who are extraordinary, who are living inspired lives, who are living lives of greatness, devoted to growth, devoted to something beyond themselves? And then you have so many people who are just walking through life. They have just convinced themselves that they're just not destined to be great. They have convinced themselves that they're just average. They're just okay. That they're going to, for the rest of their lives, watch other people do great things. And they're just going to watch from the sidelines. What is it that convinces some people that they're just okay? I mean, have you ever been inspired? Have you ever seen someone who is just unbelievable, whether he's a tremendous Tamil Chacham or a tremendous Balmidos, or maybe he has really worked on his uh, physical body, he takes care of his health, and he exercises, and he's healthy, and you see him and you say, wow, that's amazing. Someone who's an amazing musician, anything, and you've been inspired. You say, wow, this person is amazing. He's extraordinary. He does such great things. And for a moment, you have this vision of what it would be like if you would be great like that. You have this very vivid vision of the greatest version of yourself. And you can almost taste it, you can almost feel it. And you see yourself doing these amazing things. And then a second later, this small voice pops up in the back of your head and says, Who are you kidding? You can't do that. You're not great. You're just average. You're just you. There are people who do great things, and there are people like us. There are people like me. I can't do that. And you crush that vision just like that. What happened? How come you let yourself crush that vision? Why did you let that inspiration fade away? What was it that made you decide that you're not worthy or capable of becoming great? And the last question for this introductory year is how does someone actually become great? What is the actual journey? How does someone transform himself? How does someone develop himself to that extent? Are some people just born great? Is that really how it is? Or is there a process? Is there a, um, a recipe for greatness? You know, it's very strange. If you look at one of the greatest people who ever lived, Avram Avinu, we're not told how he became great. As a matter of fact, we're not told anything about him. When it comes to Noah, the Torah at least tells us that he was a great person before it introduces him. But when it comes to Avram, we're just put right in the middle of the story. Hashem just appears to Avram and says, Lech Lecha. But who was Avram? And more importantly, Lech Lecha seems to be the strangest way to tell Avram to go on his journey to greatness. Lech Lecha just tells Avram to go. Now, if I was going to tell you to go somewhere, let's say I want to invite you to a wedding. What I would tell you is where you're going. No one, gets, no one gets an invitation to a wedding and says, I want you to leave from somewhere at this time. They're told where they're supposed to be. If a mother calls up his son, her son and says, I want you to show up to the wedding, she doesn't say, I want you to leave from the train station at 2.30. She says, I want you to be at the wedding hall at 4.30. So what kind of strange way of telling Avram to go on his journey is it by telling Avram to just go? Avraham isn't given any destination. What kind of journey is it if you're not given a destination? And how is that essential to understanding the journey towards greatness? So let's start out with a very, very important principle. And we can introduce this principle with a very interesting muscle. There was once a man who woke up and he noticed that everything looked green. He woke up and his hands looked green. He looked in the mirror. His face looked green. He got to work. Everyone he knew looked green. His car looked green. His clothes looked green. Everything in the world was green. 
And then, as he was about to go to sleep that night, he realized that he was wearing green glasses. Now, it's a cute muscle, but it is so deep. Because the glasses that we wear, the lens through which we see the world, are one of the most fundamental components of our experience in life. And the real question that you have to ask yourself is what kind of glasses are you wearing? See, people wear very different glasses for different things. For example, what type of glasses are you wearing when you look at the world? How do you perceive the physical world? If you're a scientist, you might look at the world through the lens of science. If you're an artist, you might look at the world through the lens of artistry. If you're the biggest sports fan, everything in the world might be a sports muscle. If you've invested your mind into Torah and into spirituality, you might, like the Ramchal explains in Dere Hashem, you might see the world as a reflection of a spiritual reality. How are you looking at the world? You know, the Ramban explains that nature itself is really a miracle. That Kashmir, who's constantly creating the world, as the Nefesh Achaim explains. But how are you looking at the physical world? How are you looking at nature? But let's take it a step further. How are you perceiving HaKadosh Baruch Hu? When you're five years old, you might have watched a film and seen a big, giant person with a gray beard. Do you think that's HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Do you perceive Hashem as someone distant? Maybe you're a philosopher and you think HaKadosh Baruch Hu is transcendent and infinite and all-perfect and has nothing to do with you. Or do you see HaKadosh Baruch Hu as being both transcendent but also imminent? Do you see HaKadosh Baruch Hu as being very involved in your life? And how involved? Do you think HaKadosh Baruch Hu sometimes gets involved in your life? Or do you see everything that happens in your life as a gilu of HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Are you constantly connecting to HaKadosh Baruch Hu through everything that happens? Your perception of Hashem will determine your relationship with Him. It will determine how you experience your life and how you experience your spiritual connection with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. But let's take it a step further. How do you perceive yourself? You see, a person's identity, how he perceives himself, is, I think, the most fundamental factor in determining your life experience. Because you live your identity. I'll give you a very powerful example. If your identity is an athlete, you will create a certain life that makes sure that you're living up to your identity. You'll exercise a certain amount, you'll eat healthy, you'll sleep a certain amount, you'll make sure that you are keeping your identity. If you're an athlete, you identify yourself as an athlete, and you look in the mirror and you see someone who is not athletic at all, you will feel like you're not yourself. You will make sure that you live your identity. Now the question is, what's your identity? How do you identify yourself? Do you identify yourself as someone who's destined for greatness? Someone who's capable of extraordinary things? Someone who Akash Baruch who loves? Or do you identify yourself as someone who's just, eh, you're just average, you're just another guy in the crowd, there's nothing unique about you. How do you perceive yourself? Do you perceive yourself as a Talmud Chacham? If your identity is a Talmud Chacham, you always have to be learning, because that's who you are. If you're not learning, you'll feel like you're not being yourself. Do you perceive yourself as a Ben Aliyah, someone who's always growing? Because if you identify yourself as a Ben Aliyah, that is who you are. If you're not growing, you're not feeling yourself. Do you identify yourself as Oev Hashem, as someone who loves HaKadosh Baruch Hu? How do you perceive yourself? Have you even given yourself an identity? And if you have, why? Ask yourself, ask yourself honestly, how do I identify myself? How do I perceive myself? Because I have found that the most important factor 
in a life of greatness and a life of growth is how you perceive yourself. Many people struggle because they give themselves such a small identity. They think of themselves as not capable of doing anything great and therefore they don't even try. They're so scared they're going to fail or they have such a small vision of themselves that they've created a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you think you're not capable of doing anything great, you're not going to be able to do anything great. It's so important to realize that your vision that you have of yourself is going to create your reality. And that's why it's so important to change your identity. If you don't perceive yourself as someone who's capable of doing anything great, start to perceive yourself as capable of doing great. Change how you look at yourself. And this is one of the most important principles, which is people live their standards. And people's standards come from their identity. So for example, you live the things you must do. You don't live the things you should do. Everyone has things that they should do. Every Rosh Hashanah, you have a whole list of things you should do. I should build a better relationship with Hashem. I should work on my midos. I should learn more. I should build better relationships with my family and with my friends. And I should have built a better sense of self-control. There are many things we should do. But we only do things that we must do. For example, you must breathe. You must eat. There are things you must do. And the more things you move from should to must, the more you'll start to accomplish in life. For example... When you must learn Torah, so when your identity becomes, I am a Talmud Chacham, I, I am someone who grows, then you must be learning, you must be growing. When it turns into a must, then you start to really accomplish. So when you can change that identity, you can change your musts, you can change your standards, then you'll change the quality of your life. Then you'll change the quality of your growth. You'll start to do and accomplish so much more because you've changed the way you see yourself. That's why one of the keys of life is raising your standards. Raising your standards. And how do you raise your standards? By raising your identity. Think about it. When did you give yourself your identity? When did you convince yourself of what you are and aren't capable of doing? Maybe your parents told you you couldn't do it. Maybe your friends told you you couldn't do it. Maybe your teacher told you you couldn't do it. Whatever it is, you have to let that go. You have to realize that you can become so much more if you just raise your standards. And the way to raise your standards is by getting that bigger vision of yourself. It is by realizing you could do more. So now let's establish one of the most deep principles that the Ramchal, which is really based on the Rizal, explains. And the principle is follows. Hakash Baruch Hu first gives you the ideal. He first gives you a vision of what could be, and then takes it away so that you can build it yourself. The first step is a gift. It's not real, but it's a taste so you know what you're supposed to build. The second step is where you build it yourself, where you accomplish it, you construct it, you make it your own. I'll give you a nice muscle. Imagine a father wants to teach his child how to walk. You can't just tell him how to walk. You can't just say, okay, start walking. He has to hold him by his hands. He has to raise the kid up and support the child and show the kid how to walk. But eventually the father has to let go. But why is the father let go? So that the child can now learn how to walk by himself. When the father was holding the child's hand, the child wasn't really walking. It was fake. It was a gift. But the father wanted to show the child how to do it. The child couldn't figure it out by himself. But now that the father should know how to do it, he has to let go. So the child can build it himself. It's the same thing when it comes to riding a bike. You have to let go. 
You have to hold on originally, because the child can't do it by, his, by himself, but eventually you have to let go. Now, the letting go is so painful from the father's perspective, but even more so from the child's perspective. Imagine the child is crawling his whole life, and all of a sudden he's lifted up on his own two feet. And he sees the world two feet higher, and it's amazing, and he thinks he can walk, and all of a sudden his father lets go. And at the moment of feeling closest to his father, he now feels so betrayed. His father just let him go, and he fell. How could his father do that? I thought he loved me. But later on, he'll realize the only way he could have learned how to walk was if his father let go. And that letting go, while it seemed to be an act of betrayal, was really the greatest act of love. So the same thing Akash Baruch first gives you the ideal and then takes it away so you can build it yourself. The greatest example of this is the Gemara Enida that Vlamed on the base. It mentions something absolutely amazing. It says that when a child is a fetus in the womb of his mother, a malach teaches him kola kula. But then the Gemara continues by saying something very, very peculiar, very strange. It says that right before the child is about to be born, the malach hits him on the mouth, and the child forgets everything he learned in the womb. So what's going on? First of all, why make him forget it? What's the point of making him forget it? But even more importantly, if you're going to make him forget it, why teach in the first place? But the idea is exactly what we've been developing so far. First, we need to understand, what does it mean that the, that the fetus learns kol Torah kul in the womb? So the Vilna Gorn explains, it doesn't mean that you're learning chumash. It means that you are being ingrained with everything you are. You are perfection. Everything you're capable of becoming. Everything you're meant to accomplish. All of your Torah. All of your purpose in life. But then you lose it because that was a gift. But now it's ingrained deep within you. Now it's stuck deep inside your consciousness. And that's the depth of why you, the Malach hits you. It doesn't mean that you lose it and you forget it. It means you lose access to it. It means that it's hidden deep within your subconscious. And your job in life is what? Exactly. Your job in life is to build it yourself. You're brought into this world with the job of perfecting yourself, with the job of becoming everything you were meant to become, of maximizing and fulfilling all of your potential. The Malach gives it to you as a gift, but then you have to earn it yourself. That's why I like to think of life as sculpting a sculpture out of a giant slab of rock. But it's not that you're looking outside of yourself and trying to figure out, okay, what should I sculpt? Who should I be? But rather, you are already inside that slab of stone. And your job is to simply express and surface everything that is hidden already within that stone. Your job in life is not to become someone great. It's to become you. It's to become everything you were meant to become. Fulfill your purpose and your role in life. That's why you are given everything you are in the womb, but now your job is to bring it into the world yourself. It's to perfect it and construct it and earn it yourself. And that's why the Gemara in Baba Metziah says that if a person says, I tried hard to learn something, to understand something, but I wasn't able to do it, I wasn't able to succeed, we don't believe him. But if he says, then we believe him. So the villain is going to ask an obvious question. What does it mean, Yagati Umatsasi? Yagati Matasi means I try hard and I found it. What do you mean you found it? It's a lost object? We're talking about ideas, we're talking about Torah. What does it mean that you found it? You should say Yagati Vihitsalti, Yagati Vasisi, Yagati Vapaalti, that I succeeded, I did it, I accomplished it. What does it mean I tried hard and I found it? So Lin Lagun says it's exactly based off of this idea. 
that you've already learned it. When you are learning deep ideas, you don't have this feeling that I'm learning something new. Why does it resonate with you? Because you're just rediscovering what you've already once known. You already learned it in the womb. You're not learning something new. You're discovering, you're finding it. A mitzvah is something that you find unexpectedly. It's, it's discovering. And that's the beauty of mitzvah. That's the beauty of learning, is that you're just re-becoming everything you're really meant to be. And now we can understand another very interesting aspect of life. You see, we yearn for things we've already tasted. People might have a yearning for pizza. They may have a yearning for ice cream or for chocolate. Why? Because you've once tasted that. It was delicious and you want it. But, for example, who here has a craving for yabagulula? Of course you don't, because I just made it up. It doesn't exist. You can't crave for something you've never tasted. So people don't have a craving for cockroaches or snails, even though in certain countries it's a delicacy, because you've never tasted it. You don't have any desire or yearning or craving for it at all. Yet, why do people have such a craving for growth, for greatness, for meaning, for purpose, for spirituality, for connection? Because you've once tasted it. Why do you yearn to learn? Why do you yearn to know everything? Why do you learn to learn Torah? Why do you learn to, to be better? Because you were once there, you once tasted it in the womb. When you were a fetus learning Torah with the Malach, you were your perfected self. You once tasted that perfection, but when the mal hit you, you lost access to it. That's what it means, you lost access. And now, you're yearning and craving to re-accomplish and recreate what you once tasted, what was once there. And the Vilna Gon says something which is just chilling. It's really chilling. He explains that there's a Gemara which says that when you die, you will meet three malachim. One malach will say, Where's your mitzvos? The second malach will say, where's your averos? And the third malach will say, where's your Torah? So the villain asks, he says, I don't understand. What do you have besides for mitzvos and averos? Talmud Torah is a mitzvah. So you have all your mitzvos and you have your averos, but what's that malach coming and saying, where's your Torah? So the villain explains so beautifully that you're going to recognize that malach. Because that third malach is going to be the malach that taught you kol ha-Torah kula in the womb. And he's going to come to you and say, where's your Torah? I gave it to you for free in the womb, but where is it? Did you earn it yourself? Did you become everything you were meant to become? Did you build it and construct it? Have you made it your own? And that's the third malach. So the question which we have to ask ourselves is, are we becoming the people we're meant to become? Are we becoming the, the extraordinary beings that we were meant to be? And this is the deep principle that Ramchal explains, is that your root is perfection. Your root is everything you're meant to be. is your perfected self. But you're brought into this world to earn it and become and grow yourself, to choose greatness. Now we can understand our first question. Why is the first way that Adam Harishma was described as B'Tselem Elohim, as this godly inspirational figure, and the second description is an animalistic and lowly description? The reason is because your root is perfection. Your root is Tselem Elohim. Your root is that higher vision. But you're then brought into this world and you lose access to that. You're brought into this world and you don't look godly. 
When a child is born, he looks as animalistic as possible. He's crying, he's selfish, he has no intellectual wisdom, he has no midos, he has built nothing. He's, he's very, very, very animalistic. But the goal of life is to then recreate that perfection. It's to go back to your root. It's to recreate it yourself. And that's why, even though you're born as an animal, you go through the process of life becoming more and more yourself. Going back to that fuel stage, going back to that realm of greatness. And your job in life is to become great, but then the question becomes, how do you view yourself? Do you view yourself as what you are now, which is just this animalistic person? Or do you view yourself based on what you're meant to be, that Selim al-Kim, that godly vision? Now that's the question which we have to ask now, is how do you change your perception? How do you change the way you live? And the deep idea is that you have to change the way you think. Because the way you think determines how you experience and live your life. If you think Hashem loves you, you'll translate all the things that happen to you in life so differently than if you think Hashem has nothing to do with you. Then if you think everything that happens is just random, everything is just coincidental, that you have no control, and there's no meaning to anything that happens in your life. If you think you're a body, then you're going to experience life very, very differently than if you think you're a spiritual being. If you think you're destined for greatness, you're going to experience and live life very differently than if you think you're just a normal person who's just, eh, you're just like everyone else. You're just a person in the crowd. There's nothing special, nothing unique about you. If you think things are deeper than they seem on the surface, then you'll be able to see the world in such a deep way. But if you think everything is just the way it is, there's no depth, there's no profundity, there's no wisdom, then you're not going to be touched by wisdom. So the way you think, to a large extent, determines how you're going to live. It determines your experience in life. And as Rev. Cook explains so beautifully, the only way you can change who you are is by changing how you think. Because if you think the way you've always thunk, you'll do what you've always done. And then you'll be who you've always been. And you'll always be where you've always been. So the battleground is in your mind. It's how you're thinking. That's what's going to really determine who you're going to be. If you can change the way you think, if you can change your perceptions, if you can change your mind, then you can change your entire life. Now, the goal of learning Torah is to develop your mind. It's to give you an objective perception of reality. And the main goal for this Machshava series is going to be giving a deeper perception of life is to be going into really deep, deep, deep ideas in Torah, and to go into really, really, really extraordinary topics, and to get a much, much more profound understanding of life. And when we can, ch we can change the way we think, then we can change the way we live. And now, the final step is to understand Avram's journey. Because before we take this journey into growth, this journey to the self, back to that fetal stage, Let's look at Avraham's journey as this paradigm. Because Avraham's journey was the journey to the self. Lech lecha, simply understood, means go. But if you translate it literally, lech lecha, go to yourself. The journey of lech lecha was the journey to the self. It was the journey of greatness. Yet why wasn't Avraham told the destination? Why wasn't Avram told where he was supposed to go? Because you can't know the destination. Because where you are now, you would never even understand the greatness you're capable of. 
I'll give you an example. If you go over to a five-year-old and try to explain to him astrophysics, he won't understand it at all. He'll just dumb it down. He'll just think, oh, more candy. He doesn't understand anything you're talking about. If you went over to the five-year-old version of yourself and you tried to explain to yourself what you know now, your five-year-old self would have no idea what you're talking about. So now, imagine for a moment, you met your future self, who's 20 years older, and who spent the next 20 years maximizing every moment of every day for the next 20 years. And, he is, and, and this version of yourself has worked tirelessly on becoming the best version of you that you can be. And you met this person for one day. You imagine this version of yourself try to explain to you what this version of this older version of you now knows. You would have no idea what he's talking about, because the undeveloped mind can't comprehend what will become, because the journey to the self is really the journey into the unknown. I'll give you a mashal. If a person is standing inside of a glass prism. And someone outside is trying to shine white light into that prism, trying to show the person inside the prism this white light, it will be impossible. Because when the white light gets refracted through that prism, it gets refracted into the seven, into the different colors of the spectrum. So the person sitting inside of the spectrum can't see the white light. What's the only way for him to experience the white light? To shatter the prism. So the only way to learn and to see things from a new perspective and to understand things on a deeper level is to break down the way you see things now with the willingness to see things from a new perspective, to see things a new way. And that's the real vulnerability of the journey into the unknown. You don't know who you're going to be because you can't know. You can't even comprehend how great you can be. You can't even comprehend the type of person that you will be if you devote yourself to this journey of greatness. I'll give you a very powerful mashal. There was one time a person who was captured. He was behind enemy lines and he was captured in times of war. And the captain took this captive and told him that tomorrow you are going to be executed in front of the firing squad at 6 a.m. in the morning. However, there's one alternative. You can walk through that door, and he points to a door right in front of them. And the person is shaking, he's shivering, he's, he's terrified, and he asks the captain, what's behind that door? So the captain turns to him and says, nobody knows, but all we know is that there's an untold power lying behind that door. The next morning, the captain went over to him and asked him, what will your choice be? And the captive looked at the captain and said, I choose the firing squad. And they took him to the firing squad and they shot him. The secretary went over to the captain right afterwards and said, I don't understand. You've been doing this for years and every single time they choose the firing squad. What's behind that door? What is it? So the captain looked at the secretary and said simply, Freedom. But everyone is too scared to walk into the unknown. They would rather take a sure known death than walk into the unknown. Now you have to ask yourself, are you accepting mediocrity in wisdom, 
in your relationships, in your middos, in your self-control, in all aspects of your life, in your friendships? Are you accepting mediocrity because it's known, because it's easy, because it's comfortable? Well, guess what? The only way to achieve real greatness is to walk into the unknown. Where you don't know what it's going to be. You don't know what the, what the truth will be. You don't know what the type of life that you're going to live. It's very easy to have everything chart out and to live a very, very comfortable, easy life where everything is simple. I know exactly what's going to happen. It's all safe. But the journey to greatness is the journey of vulnerability. Avraham, Lech Lecha, wasn't told the destination. He was just told where he was leaving from. Because all you know is where you are now. And you know that you're heading towards somewhere greater. But you don't know who you're going to be. You don't know that destination. Avram wasn't told the destination because you can't know the destination. You are the only one who can discover what you're capable of becoming. But that requires to take the journey into the unknown. Now, the real question is, who is going to really change? Who is going to really grow? Unfortunately, 99% of people leave every inspirational speech or every deep shear, and they go right back to their lives. It was a nice shear, it was beautiful, they were inspired, but then they go right back right afterwards. But in every crowd, there's that one or two people who make it real. And that shear that changes their life forever. Why? Because when they left that room on fire, they never let that fire go out. They went into a room by themselves and created a vision, a goal for themselves. They said, how can I make this real? They tried to actualize that inspiration. They didn't just let it fade. They didn't go right back to their lives. Are you going to be that person? Or is it going to be the person next to you? But the solution that I'm going to try to create is this series, where we're going to create an environment, an atmosphere, an avira, where we're going to continuously focus on these ideas. Continuously focus on seeing things from a deeper perspective, on a life full of growth and meaning and purpose, and to build these deep ideas. This isn't for everyone. Some people are happy just staying where they are in life, seeing things from the way they've always seen it, thinking the way they've always thunk, doing what they've always done. But if you're yearning for more, for wisdom, for purpose, to see things from a deeper perspective, then this series is going to be devoted to that exact goal, and this is for you. And I look forward to going on this extraordinary journey with you.